Welcome to the Poets and Philosopher Podcast. I'm Abe, part-time preacher and freelancer. And I'm Sam, a preacher and PhD student. And we respect the great tradition. We're also brothers. Each week we'll take a topic or author and the great tradition, explore the ideas for their own sake, and how Christians can benefit from them. If you're someone who loves philosophy, old books, ancient ideas, and God, you should subscribe. Today, we discuss the age-old quarrel between the philosophers and the poets. This is uh, why our podcast is called Philosopher, our Poets and Philosophers Podcast, is because we are concerned about this, but also uh, this is a great way of thinking about the ancient writers themselves. So it's important for us to figure out what's the difference between the two. Um, in Plato's Republic, in uh, 607b, the particular reference, he references this ancient quarrel. Um, the thing that was going on was many of the poets, or the poets had a leading, um, they, they were more respected than the philosophers before Socrates came along. You know, Homer was, was king in that era. But then after Socrates, and even during Socrates, there was this tectonic shift that took place in which the philosophers uh, became more permanent in the marketplace of ideas. So it's important for us to think through this idea of what is the difference between the philosopher and the poet? How do they look at the world, and why are they important for us to think through these things? So Sam, go ahead and start us off here with what in the world is the difference between these two uh, groups of people, the poets and philosophers? Yeah, I I do yeah think about them as two different personality types. Uh, so the poet is going to be someone who thinks through things by their image, or he's going to think through, or she's going to think through um, the world emotionally. And uh, the poet's going to look at a f- flower, let's say, and is going to be impressed by its beauty. And the philosopher is going to think of a flower mainly uh, by its properties, uh, kind of like a botany. I haven't ever studied botany, but uh, botany, you know, it's very concerned with the anatomy and, uh, and, and such. So the, and I, I guess we can also distinct, uh, distinguish by two different epistemologies. Now, epistemology is just the study of knowledge. It's how we gain knowledge. A philosopher is starting point. A philosopher is going to reason through things. I guess I already just said it reasonably it, with their reason, with the rational faculty. The poet is going to cons- know what truth is by reflecting on beautiful things, uh, by, uh, by, yeah, just, I guess, beholding images of the beautiful. So philosophers are going to be more interested in universals universal propositions, I guess. And then poets are going to be very concerned with just particulars. Um, what would you add, Abe? So I would, yeah, I would agree with that. And even when you're saying universals and particulars, you can really uh, bifurcate these two um, positions by what I would say even just inductive reasoning and deductive reasoning. So the poets are very concerned about particulars. So they're uh, it's an inductive way of thinking through how the world works. They're focusing on these particulars, and through these particulars, they gain these general conclusions about the world. They might not even state the general conclusions, but that's 
just how they work through life. Whereas the philosopher is very concerned about the general's uh, ideas. And so they work through the laws of logic very consistently. And they connect those ideas and working out uh, just how the world works that way. And so they are very concerned with um, not what you think or how you live, but how mankind lives. So they're very concerned about those generalities there. And it's a de- it's definitely a good way of thinking about the world. But uh, there's probably some weaknesses there that I think we need to explore. So what do you think are some of the weaknesses of being a philosopher or looking through the world through that sort of lens? So one person who made fun of Socrates is uh, Aristophanes. He was like a, 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 one of the, I think, first comedians. Um, now, when I'm using the comedians, I'm saying like Joker. Um, so he has this book or this uh, dialogue, and I actually forget which one it is. But the clouds, yeah. So Socrates has no shoes on, and he doesn't have shoes because he's a worthless kind of guy to the city. He he can't he doesn't have any income, so he he doesn't have shoes. And Aristophanes is pretty much mocking Socrates because he's infatuated with the intestine of an ant, and just you know what is true. And he's so concerned with the details that he forgets. Does it actually matter to a human being, you know, the intestine of ants? And I think if you are a philosopher, you will be so enamored with what is true regardless of uh, your humanity. And um, I guess there's always that uh, Delphic oracle or Delphic inscription that's know thyself. Um I think poets are going to be a lot better about seeing things at, in relation to themselves and not being overly concerned with just random truth things. Um, but philosophers are going to be just interested in everything, um, perhaps irrespective of uh, its meaning or significance. I think with philosophers, um, they can seem very short-sighted in how they think through things. And so there can only deal with certain amount of facts. Like if you ever meet somebody who's like a very hardcore skeptic atheist, um, there's not a lot they actually care to talk about or even believe in because even the word there like believe in just sounds ridiculous to them. They, they want to t- take everything just by simple facts of the matter. And you peel back those layers about you know just dealing with the facts of the matter um, – that requires you to have a some presuppositions that you can't prove philosophically. Um, you have to really kind of underneath that, and just they just have these assumptions that are out there that are, aren't really tested or challenged. And so, but the way they think about the world is, well, I don't really, I don't really have a position, or I don't think love is real because um, that's just something we can't test uh, scientifically. There's no philosophic under pinnings for love and it's like how could you ha- how could you talk to somebody or even live with somebody who has no actual uh, belief in something like love or courage or any sort of morality it's really tough for them to have that sort of uh, conversation there that, that's how the at least the modern uh, skeptical philosophers are and, and it's just because well we can't prove that these things are real therefore we can't um, move on from that. I think the ancient philosophers did very much believe in morality 
and uh, argued very well for it and uh, worked out how that went. But I think what happens is is that, yeah, you miss the beauty of the world. And uh, you, you, I think in, cl- in the clouds, they talk a little bit about, um, I think it's like the impact of fly farts or something really silly like that. And it's like, it, what does that have to do with the rest of the world? Even talking about love, I know in uh, in Alan Bloom's translation of Plato's Republic, he has an interpretive essay at the end, and he says that philosophers almost seem autistic, that they don't really see the person in people. They're, they're kind of estimate a person by their beliefs, how well they're founded, and they may not even look at you. They're just very analytical, and uh, I, I think about uh, – um, you know, the series Monk, um, Adrian Monk, he's a, a tech de- detective. And um, for the last few episodes, Natalie is his nurse. And Monk is very analytical. He's, uh, and I forget what happened in this episode, but he was uh, looking at maybe a family hugging together. And Natalie just looks and starts crying like, that's so beautiful. I'm so glad they're back together. And he didn't really understand it. And then at the end of the episode, he looks at like some waterfall or some scenic um, image and it just it doesn't affect him. Um, and that I think that's a good picture of what the the philosopher is, someone who perhaps is a little bit autistic, who's just very concerned with uh, objectivity, uh, no subjectivity. And uh, the poet is very subjective. He wants to. He wants to cry. He wants to find something to cry about. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's a helpful distinction there. I think you can you can see this when you're you know listening to a sermon, whether or not this this preacher is philosophical or uh, poetical in their approach to scriptures. So a philosopher, you know, he's very concerned about the particular definitions, and he's going to define a lot of his Greek words for you. And he's going to show you the background of things and kind of just um, give you this airtight argument on the particular premise he's got. You know, why, um, you know, something like, uh, you know, why the church has to function this way. And that's that's his sermon. It's just a simple, well, here's this thing I need to prove through the scriptures and here's my logical argument. And here you go. Whereas a poet approaches the scriptures much differently and they are concerned about giving the audience an image of the beautiful God that they believe in. And they're going to use Scripture to, to just show that. They're going to use their own um, findings from uh, their own life that are beautiful. And that's how a poet's going to approach, approach that. So you can see those in that particular domain as well. So what can happen, though, when a poet goes too far or even the better question i think we could even ask is um is uh poetry an image bearing a truth uh bearing a faculty yeah so with uh i think last semester i looked at owen barfield owen barfield was one of the inklings and um he is actually one of the main uh people who helped cs lewis look at uh look at what's the word um just imagination as a truth-bearing organ and he wrote a book called poetic diction this is owen barfield 
and I analyzed the first like five chapters of that book. That's actually what I wrote my paper on. He makes an argument that imagination itself bears truth. It was difficult for me to follow first his argument. I don't think he did it well. C.S. Lewis has a article that is very good. It's called, uh, actually, I don't know how to pronounce the words, but it's like Blue Spells and Falal uh, Fulshers. It's, uh, th- these are two examples that he gives, um, Blue Spells and uh, this other uh, word. They're, they're uh, fossil, uh, fossilized metaphors that he uses as, a, as an example in his essays. But he, he looks at metaphors, our uh, language is pretty much fossilized metaphor. Um, most lang- most words start with um, with words that are that are used metaphorically. And um, anyways, I read the article. I don't know if I would ever say that um, that our imagination bears truth. I do think that we as human beings are are. Uh, analogists where we we find analogies i even see you know with my daughter she'll walk around she'll not she won't have a word for something but she knows it's kind of like something else and um she'll uh she'll use words in a very funny way it's because she has few words and she she sees the similarities she's like okay this word can suffice for this meaning um and that's what we do and a lot of we see patterns in nature and similes and there's uh it's uh it's it's really cool but does it bear truth i'm not really sure um yeah i think that uh, our imagination and i don't know if that's correct word a lot of people are really skeptical of using the word imagination when it comes to the realm of truth but um maybe our intuition maybe a better word to use i'm not really sure but it seems that Yes, that you can uh, find truth or, or, you know, use use your imagination to find truth uh, about the world. But the difficult part is, is proving that what you found is in fact true. Um, and so that's where I think that it can get dangerous by you just simply using our imagination. I think both of us would agree when we end this podcast, it's not going to be like, well, then this is why you should be a poet or this is why you should be a philosopher. We're not going to come down on maybe either side of this, um, but rather using both of these to help us uh, live, be better humans, be better uh, Christians, that sort of thing. But uh, where imagination gets off the rails is that it becomes so enamored with the style that actually says nothing. Like if you've listened to somebody who is so enamored with um, the rhetoric of their speech that they, in the end, just say nothing at all. It's like, you know, they might have been very, it might have sounded really good, but you, in fact, said nothing. And uh, that's that's where I think it gets tough to be strictly poetical about how you approach things. So the question then I think we could lead into from both of these things is, should Christians be more philosophic in their approach to life or should they be more poetic yeah is is the world beautiful if it if it is beautiful that means we should be poetic in a way 
is is their reality is their truth oh well we should probably be philosophic then as well um it's whatever the nature of reality is should be our epistemology it should be the way that we find truth um i i know that uh generally in in sermons i uh i will be more philosophic and one of the uh i guess negative sides of that is not being as beautiful it might be very analytical and uh factual and i'll i'll sh- you know show you the propositions that i believe in but if you really want to rouse people's will and love love for god love for the beauty in god i would show images of various stories in the bible various ways that god has loved let's say israel even when israel was like a prostitute with the other nations uh, just to see God's love, it really evokes a love for God more than just, uh, yes, God exists, and yes, you should love God. Um, so I do think that um, Christians need to be both. Uh, both are in Scripture, and we need to be able to handle metaphor- metaphors because we think in metaphors. We also need to know how to demonstrate uh, what is true by, I guess, the laws of logic. Um, and I think to be good readers of Scripture, we have to be balanced. Uh, you're going to go to a book like Romans, uh, the Epistle of Rome, uh, the Romans by Paul, that is quite philosophical. Then you're also going to go to a uh, a poetic book like Job um, or the Psalms, and you need to be able to to see what the psalmist is writing about. So in order to read both both analytically and imaginatively we need to be balanced uh what about you abe yeah i think you're right um that both of them i would say though like if we're gonna say that it's gonna have to be more than the other i would argue that we would be more poetical in um our approach to life um and the main reason for this, well, there's a few reasons, but one of the reasons I would say for this is because the way the Bible comes to us, it, beca- it comes to us in a very poetical sort of way. I think about 70 or 75% of the entire uh, scriptures themselves are narrative, and narrative is a very poetical way of life. There's also a lot of poetry in it, as you kind of already explained, and there are some very philosophic sections of the Bible. Um, but uh, it is difficult to simply approach something like the book of Revelation um, from a philosophic standpoint. And you can define what this thing means or whatever, but you're really not getting the actual thrust of the book of Revelation if you're not thinking through it as a poetic book, because it is clearly a book of images that are beautiful and terrifying to rouse us to uh, believe in God and to know uh, who wins the day in the end. So I think if we're going to say if if you have to be more than one, uh, go for the poetic side. But I think what has to happen is it's really a two-step process. You begin to think about something through a philosophic sense, but you end in the poetic sense, because the philosophic sense is going to keep you grounded. Um, as far as you're not coming up with things just to come up with things. And then the poetic helps you to see the beauty of what you've just discovered uh, through through reasoning and thinking through things. So I would, that's how I would kind of argue uh, with that. Um, so, Sam, kind of uh, 
thinking through all of this is when you think about the world, and you've already kind of hinted at it, but are you more of a poet or are you more of a philosopher? The first person that I became very interested in, I guess, at college was uh, Augustine. No, not Augustine, uh, Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas. And I, I just loved – also, I would watch debates by William Lane Craig and all these other um, debaters, and it was very, very enjoyable. I, I thought that it looked great to argue philosophically, and I still do. I think there, there's – it's pretty cool to see people uh, speak on stage in a very abstract and deep way. Um, I would like to emulate them at some point in my life. but. So I think I started out, and you probably know Abe as us as kids. I'm trying to think of a good example of my in my past where I was just very. I've always, I guess, leaned towards mathematics than English. I thought English, you know, my my mom and I, you know we were both homeschooled. Uh, mom, when she would grade a paper, just like how is she going to know that it's a 98 percent like. Is it because I didn't use a comma or, you know, I felt like it was quite subjective and I was like, you know, with math, you know, truth is truth. And I know if it was right or I know if it was wrong. And with talking with other people, I don't know if I was ever that patient and, um, you know, just tell it as it is and let the chips fall where they may. So I think that I, I definitely started being or I, I started my life much more philosophical. And that's why today. I'm drawn to people um, like uh, Soren Kierkegaard or Dante who are much more poetic because I want to balance out. I don't want to be purely philosophical, though I never want to claim to be that philosophic um, in its better sense, nor have I attained uh, what it means to be you know, poetic. Um, I remember when you were uh, – when we were kids and you – just you you never liked to talk about fantasy movies or um anything that was uh out of the ordinary and you'd be like this is not real life this would never happen and it's like what is the point of watching a movie if it's like real life you know like oh hey look i'm gonna watch a movie about this guy uh john he's gonna go to the store and he's gonna buy some milk and he's gonna go home it's like nobody wants to watch that people want to watch things that are bigger than real life to call them up to a higher level of being or um in the case of the you know the greek tragedies this is how you don't do life so um that's <laughs> that was uh, always kind of funny about i think an, an example of you at least of you being more uh philosophic when you were younger yeah and i think that i you know i never read a novel other than like sam the Minuteman, that little book i have not read like a cover uh, a novel or fiction cover to cover until I was, you know, past the age of 20. Um, I just did not read. And I think that was one way that my imagination, I guess, suffered. I, I know mom tried to encourage me and I was more, more so just like tinkering in the garage. But uh, what about you, Abe? Are you uh, more poetic or more philosophic? I would say that I am more poetic in my thinking through the world. I, I very much appreciate uh, philosophy and reading the philosophers, but I didn't really understand how much I enjoyed it until I was reading um, Plato's Republic. And Plato's Republic is not a philosoph. I mean, it is a philosophic book, 
but it is a deeply poetical book or poetic book because it is written to us in a story format, you know, that begins with um, Socrates at the Piraeus viewing a foreign uh, festival and he's walking through and some of his uh, friends or acquaintances stop him to talk to him and they have a discussion, a dialogue about what is uh, justice eventually. And that is not uh, that is not a philosophic way of talking about things. Like if you want to see a more philosophic approach, read Aristotle. And Aristotle is very philosophic in his approach to talking about uh, you know all the things he talked about, whether it's physics or poetics or ethics or you know all those things that he, he eventually talks about in his Organon. So that's what I would say. Uh, I appreciate the philosopher, but I think at heart I am uh, more poetical because when I was a, a kid, I, w- I read a bunch of novels. Um, when I was a kid, I was always staying up reading, and uh, I, I really enjoyed all that very, very much so. But I, you know, I, I too also kind of go, all right, well, this is how I am. I should you know, read more of Aquinas to kind of balance this out a bit more. I should read more Aristotle to help me with this. Um, but that's just that's just kind of how I how I was at least. Yeah, I do. Uh, these are kind of personality types. So today, there's uh, I guess the Myers Briggs. Um, isn't there like a five? The the Big Five or something? Yeah, th- there's a lot of different personality types, and they're I think they're all interesting. I think one day we will probably talk about uh, what it means to be. I guess it's the philosopher, the warrior, or I don't know what you would call it, the Democrat, uh, the different, the three parts of the soul as Plato describes them, where it's these different personalities. So just talking about poets and philosophers, it's whatever you tend to be. And I do think being more balanced is good. So like if you were extroverted or introverted, I don't think, you know, a Christian's going to thrive completely being introverted. You know, there's such thing as a public life and Christians need to live a public life. Well, I don't think it's going to be good for a Christian to be completely extroverted because there's such thing as the private life and you need to be willing to be at home alone. Um, you know, alone God calls us and we need to thrive uh, by ourselves when no one's around um, because it's going to be very hard to be in a community if you cannot be alone. Anyways, I think that uh, just being a philosopher, being a poet, or being mainly on one side of the continuum uh, would probably not be the best. It's good to be balanced, and uh, that's that's my my decision. That's my evaluation of of this. Because I, 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 yeah. One thing I don't want to do is, and I don't know why this is probably, I guess, maybe my philosophic side, but I don't like to say, ah, to each his own, and if you fall on this side, and then, you know, just love that side, and don't care about the other side, or um, I want to at least say, hey, this is where you should be, and I do think that people who excel will probably be in the middle, being able to, because again, yeah, I think I'm repeating myself, but the Bible is both philosophic and it's poetic. And if we aren't going to have this balance, then we aren't going to be able to read half the Bible or more. You're 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 right. Um, and also, 
that the people who can combine these two ideas we've seen in history make a deep impact on the world. So I think it's Alistair McGrath wrote a book on C.S. Lewis, and he titles it The Rational Romantic. So here is somebody who is rational but also romantic in their thinking. And if you read C.S. Lewis, he's very philosophical, but he has this thrust in him that sees and beholds beautiful things and wants to share those ideas with you. Like he's really famous for his um, piercing uh, illustrations when he talks about uh, just about anything. And so I think he, he does it very well. I think I saw part of a documentary on Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and the title of the documentary on, I think it's still on Amazon Prime, was Logic on Fire. And I think that's also, too, a good explanation of, of what, it, what it means to do well, because you don't want somebody who is completely um, drawn up in images and doesn't really live actual life, but you also don't want somebody who's so focused on... Um, these particular generalities of life that they don't see the particulars of actual human beings. So that's that, that's that tension that's there. And Plato calls this a quarrel between the two. And I think in his day, it was very much a quarrel because it, there was such a dominated culture of the image and uh, people like Homer and the playwriters um, that kind of just, that's how people understood things. But he comes along and says, and shows is a different way of looking at the world through a philosophic lens of asking questions and getting at definitions where someone like Homer, he would kind of look at you. I assume he would look at you really funny, although, you know, legend has it. He was blind. Um, he would look at you really funny. And when you would ask him a question, like what is justice? He would just go, what? Like, don't you see justice in this book? Like clearly this is the thing that exists and it's here, but he's not going to like, give you this philosophic argument on the thing, whereas Socrates is very much involved in that project. So, Abe, if you were to judge our society, where do you think that our society is more philosophic or poetic? If you know, Oh, I think it is, it, it is very much a poetic society. Um, I think there's an overbalance of that in our world. And I would use um, the political realm when it comes to discussing it in a uh, poetic sense. So somebody who is going to gain a lot of political power in, in our, uh, just in, in America at least, but I'm sure in other countries too, is there going to be somebody who has a lot of good slogans and who can ridicule the other side very well and who can distill um, and I no, that's probably not the best word. They they can market their position best. That's really who's gonna win. The person who can market their position best, not from a philosophic sense. This is the best position, or somebody we would call them a, a policy wonk who is philosophic. You know, like a like a Paul Ryan type of character, um, who can uh, get a lot of political power. Typically, that's not gonna happen. But it's somebody, you know, who, who's uh, very, uh, who can say good speeches and as far as um, rousing up the affections of who they're talking about and turning out their base. That, I would say that. And I would say even when it comes to um, stories that are told today on, in, in media, whether it's, you know, TV or, or movies, those 
they are they are so uh, many times they're so enamored with just asking questions, but they don't give you any answers, or they are so involved with the style that there's really not a whole lot of substance to what this movie is is trying to say. So I would say, in, at least in those two realms, we are very uh, poetic in our in our understanding. Yeah, I would even say I think TV itself is a poetic medium. It's a it's images. I just read the book uh, "Amusing Yourselves," uh, "Amusing Ourselves to Death" by Neil Postman, and that's one of his big things is uh, with TV and images. Um, it's shifting. He calls it epistemology. It's shifting our sense of where knowledge comes from. It's images. You know, presidents used to be, you know, on the heavier side. That can't be anymore because you have to be, you know, slender and you have to be attractive. Um, so I think anything on TV is going to be uh, quite uh, poetic. Um, I'm just thinking about Athens back in the day. You said that uh, Socrates lived in a time that was more uh, poetic because of Homer's uh, emphasis or Homer's influence. And Socrates is the person who kind of changed it um, towards more philosophic to where I think philosophy has dominated um, quite a bit. I think about the Enlightenment. And because of the Enlightenment, it was so philosophic. People are rebelling against that. And that's why today there's so much postmodernism, if, if I said that right. Uh, where you, you, well, uh, Okay, so you had modernity, and modernity was very philosophic, analytical, and now you have post-modernity, which is trying to say there is no truth, and um, very, very, you know, there's a lot of um, movies out, or there at least used to be a lot of movies out on the uh, paranormal or, you know, the spiritual realm, and there's a lot of people today interested in, uh, you know, spirituality without religion. Uh, because there is no truth, but just spirituality. And I do think that if Christians are going to thrive today, they have to be able to communicate on a more poetic way to, to help people find meaning and uh, truth and beauty within the Christian scriptures. Um, anyways, I was just, I think that's a, a helpful topic to talk about is what, what, where are we at today in our culture, at least from our perspectives? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's really helpful, especially if, if we're going to um, evangelize and to spread the, the light of the world. I think you know, there's there's if you just think about you know, does the Bible want us to be more philosophic or poetic? There's just plenty of places where it calls us to be both. I think one of them in particular is I think it's just in Ephesians, um, but uh, speaking the truth in love. I think is one of the ones where it kind of wraps those two ideas of being. Um, saying what is true, but also wrapping it up inside of love itself. Because somebody who speaks the truth without love, then they just, they're, it's harsh. It's not appealing to the humanity of a person. It's just appealing to the facts of the matter. They almost become an object in their eyes. Whereas if you just simply speak love without truth, which I think is a, I think that's not a very loving thing to do in and of itself. But if you speak love without truth, you're just simply coddling a person and not calling them to a, a higher uh, way of living that, that Christ would call us to. So I think this has been a very helpful discussion about this, um, this uh, two distinct ways of looking at the world and how we can uh, think about the world 
in our way as far as is it more philosophic, is it more poetic? And so I really appreciate you uh, listening to this podcast. Please subscribe. And we are on iTunes. And as most podcasts will tell you, give us a five-star rating. And that will help us to reach more people because we, we, want, we want to reach more people with these ideas. We want to talk more about them and um, even have on guests to talk about these ideas because that's always helpful to talk with uh, experts and such. So we really appreciate you and uh, we will uh, talk to you guys in the next podcast. <laughs>